Hello, I'm Johnny Bravo. Today you're going under the musical influence of today's guest, Brian Belt, on Under the Influence with DJ Johnny Bravo. The reason why I invited Brian is because he used to work at a record store, and he also has vinyl that he's never played that is still in the wrapper. <laughs> and I would always wonder if he ever played his vinyl, but he does play his vinyl. So, Brian, tell me a little about your musical self. Hey, Johnny, how you doing this evening? Pretty good. How Glad you doing, to, Brian? Doing good. Glad to help you out. As you mentioned, you know, been listening to music for a long, long time here. A little bit of an older guy, a little bit older than yourself. He used to work at a record store back in the day, back in the 80s and early 90s. And I've been a real fan of music. I have all kind of you know, broad range of taste in music from anything from you know classic rock to heavy metal to a little bit of rap, just the older stuff and some country and everything in between. Now, you said you worked at a record store back in the 80s. Where were you living back in the 80s? Where are you living now? How has that kind of impacted your your whole experience with music? Um, the the actual job at the good old record store was actually in the early 90s. So I would just say from, say, 91-ish to, say, 95, 96. And that was when I was living in San Antonio, Texas. And I worked for a now-defunct record company called Sound Warehouse. Currently now, I'm on the East Coast, just like you, uh, living life. Things have changed a little bit, but, you know, music's so very important. And I try to go to as many shows as I can and sell buying records and vinyl and CDs and what have you and try to be involved in the music scene as much as I can. And as you mentioned, some things that just don't open, but... You know, it is what it is. <laughs> At least I have a copy. Yeah, you uh, have a copy of, I think it's Pink Floyd, The Division Bell that you haven't opened. I'm not sure what uh, other ones you haven't opened. And the other reason why I invited Brian on is because we are record store buddies. Even though he's down in the Virginia Beach area, I'm up in Richmond, uh, Virginia. Uh, we're in standing in line in record store day, his wife, my wife, and we're always kind of swapping lists. What do you need? What do you need? What do I need? What do you, you know, th- what do you need? And if he can't find it, I can't find it. Then sometimes we don't get it, but at least we're uh, partnering up on that expense. And, you know, I'll probably open mo- most of mine. I know he probably keeps some of them sealed, but I know it's the thrill of the hunt with the vinyl for you. Yeah, it's definitely the thrill of the hunt. I enjoy more of the collecting thing. You know, I love listening to music, but between the vinyl that I have and then all the CDs I have, you know, it's just it's just a lot. It takes up a lot of space in the little room that I'm sitting in here. You know, I'd probably say about give or take a thousand or so physical CDs, about seven hundred to nine hundred albums. Some open, some not. And then to address the one Pink Floyd that you mentioned, that was a copy of the Division Bell that I did buy back in the day when I was working at the record store. And it's an original press. It's never been opened. Just never, never open it for whatever reason. <laughs> Just sitting there on the shelf. I did pick it up. And back in the day, I think I paid for it when no one wanted to buy vinyl. Early 90s, I think after my employee discount and all the discounts on it and clearance, I probably paid about 3 or $4 for the thing. It's completely sealed and in pristine shape. That's probably something that I'll never open and I'll just sit on the shelf next to the brand new copy of the Division Bell that I bought recently. It's been expanded to two LPs versus the one original LP that's on the clear blue vinyl that was the big deal back in the day. I've been up in uh, the room. Brian showed me around all of his music and movies and paraphernalia that he's got hanging up uh, all the posters. Some of the stuff probably that he got from his music store and other music stores. I'm interested uh, Brian, when did you first discover music? I got into music as an early kid. Parents always 
played music in the early 70s as I was growing up. It was originally my dad playing some of the older stuff, The Doors, Hendrix, Deep Purple, and stuff like that on the old turntable. And then as the 70s progressed, it slowly moved into the disco era. And then when I was really about... I would say in my 9, 10, 11 years old, early teens at the latest, you know, right around middle school time, actually before middle school, probably fifth or sixth grade, you know, for Christmas one year, I asked for a bunch of cassettes from the old parents, you know, for Christmas, you have to stick in the stockings, and next thing I knew, I had whatever I had on my list, I asked for about five or six different cassettes, lo and behold, there they were, and for whatever reason, at that point in time, I requested a copy of Zeppelin IV, I wanted a copy of the new Motley Crue album, Quiet Riot, and then in addition to that, I think they stuck something in from uh, The Doors. And that was Christmas that year, and that was pretty damn cool, and I loved it ever since. And then once I went into you know, middle school and high school and hang out with all the friends and buddies, the music experience just blossomed from there, and hanging out with the kids and trading music back and forth, making copies of tapes and going to concerts and exploring stuff. It was a great good time. And those are some good records there. The Lid Zeppelin Four just celebrated the 50th anniversary, just posted on uh, Instagram today that the Motley Crue, Too Fast for Love, just celebrated 40 years. And then you had uh, Quiet Ride in there. Those are some, and, and the doors, uh, the, the doors are one of my faves. Love some Jim Morrison, read some books on Jim and watched the movie, of course, back in the nineties with uh, Val yeah. Kilmer. So God, that's a good list there for Christmas, man. Yeah, definitely so. And more we refer back to the old days in the eighties and the nineties, the older I feel. But yeah, music keeps me yeah. young. What uh, is the first song that comes to mind that, you know, is, is on your ear lids that uh, you might've listened to back in the day? Uh, trying to think of, you know, one of the first songs I heard, it probably had to be some of the early Beatles stuff that my mom used to play, you know, back in the early 70s. You know, nothing really stands out. The Beatles were always on, and then some of the, the 60s and 70s type music that they were growing up with. So that was always on the on the music scene in our house. Back in the 70s, I guess the album-oriented rock was a big uh, format back then. So that, I guess that quiet music, the soft of rock, you know, was a big thing. I remember being at my babysitter's house listening to the radio or she was listening to the radio and a lot of that uh, music would be on the Beatles and stuff like that in the background so you experience some of the same things with your mom and your parents right yeah, absolutely well we're going to take a break so hang on we'll be right back We are back. I'm Johnny Bravo. You're going under the musical influence of today's guest, Brian Belt, on Under the Influence with DJ Johnny Bravo. Brian, let's talk about girlfriends. We want to talk about, like, what would be that song that you would send out for that long-distance dedication? I just have to play that one safe. You know, you're talking about girlfriends and everything else and, you know, being married and all that. You can't go too far back. So I just have to play that safe. Just mention, you know, just a song that, you know, serves a special place in my heart for me and my wife. And that would have to be the uh, Turtles So Happy Together. It was one of those days where, you know, we were starting to date early in the, in the time frame and she sent me a card. I sent her a card and just happened to be that we both sent similar Hallmark cards to each other halfway across the country. Both of them had the music theme with So Happy Together. That's been our song, and we're going to stick with that. Good man there. If you're married and, uh, you know, you start talking about girlfriends, 
it might yeah, get you, you in tell trouble. You about the, the, those pass, and you know, you know, can't do that. Just a, just a present, right? Just a present. You got to stick with it. The wife is the one that's in charge. You want to stay uh, married and uh, keep your record or collection, that exactly. one room in the she house? Like, she allows me to spend the money on the vinyl. So, yes, you got to keep her happy. You're absolutely correct, Johnny. Exactly correct. Uh, did you guys dance to that song at your wedding? Yes, we actually we did. You know, we did play that, plus a lot of other cool stuff at our wedding, including some classic stuff like Sinatra, and we closed out the night with Thriller by Michael Jackson. I know that uh, she has a place in her heart for some Frank Sinatra. I do remember that. Absolutely. Her and my wife are both friends. They we, you know, worked together and, and did some other things together, and she uh, was actually in our wedding. So I know that she likes some Frank Sinatra. I think I think I even recorded some of her dad's collection, CD collection of Frank Sinatra, some of his uh, greatest hits that he had a copy of. Oh, that's a good deal. And we've talked about Michael Jackson on this show before. So you said that you, you danced a thriller. Is that what it was? Yeah, the last song of the night for our wedding, you know, when everyone was all nice and, how do we say that, inebriated? We can use the word inebriated. Yeah, we all decided to do the uh, line dance with Thriller and, you know, people throwing their arms to the left and the right and trying to do the scary, spooky stuff. It was a night to behold. It was pretty cool. They're all being let off by her dad. So he's a wonderful guy. I don't know if my wife, I, I know we probably, I know we were there, but I'm not sure if we remember seeing that if we left early or not. That would have been great. I don't know if you got a video of that, but I think I might pay to see her dad doing the Thriller dance. Yep, it's there somewhere. We will turn that up one day. That sounds like a plan. It's the first concert that you went to or maybe the first concert that you remember going to. I've seen many, many concerts, but the very first one that sticks out, there's actually two. These are both back when I was... Uh, my dad was, used to be in the Air Force way back in the day when we lived in Hawaii. First couple of concerts I remember seeing. The first was a uh, at the Aloha Stadium. It was a triple bill. It was Aerosmith, Run DMC, and Stevie Ray Vaughan. That was a killer show. First indoor show that I saw was uh, Dio on the Sacred Heart Tour with Ingve Malmsen opening up. That was killer as well. What really sticks out about that second show is that we were, you know, young kids, early high school. We got there so early in the day before the show. We were the show was probably eight o'clock, give or take. We were there at the venue at noon, just hanging out, just trolling around like scamps that we were. You know, we hooked up with the uh, local DJ there at the radio station next thing we knew he said meet me here after the show at this time at this gate and i'll get you backstage and that happened and it was a wonderful wonderful experience so you were backstage hanging out with dio dio and Ingve malston yes sir man did you get all their autographs or did you have anything for them to sign i had a i had a tour book that had a couple of members from the dio band back in the day signed i didn't get a chance to meet ronnie that night but i did meet him you know, about a decade later, uh, one of the cool things was that I did get to meet Ingbe Malmsteen way back in the day when he was in his early 20s, and that was pretty cool. And do you still have that uh, book from the show? Yeah, still autographed, still still holding on to it. Now, you've been around, you know, all, all across the United States. Where where else have you seen some killer shows? Uh, I've seen shows in Hawaii, a lot of shows in Texas. I've seen uh, shows here on the East Coast, whether it's you know, here locally in Virginia Beach, up to D.C. area. That's pretty much the extent of it. And a few concerts in Northern California when I was finishing up high school. Any shows from any of those areas that stick out to you besides the two that you mentioned? One of the coolest shows that I've ever seen. Well, actually, two, two shows. 
the, the first and the, and the one that sticks out the most was Pink Floyd in uh, San Antonio. When I got a chance to see the Division Bell tour, they came by and they played the Alamo Dome. It was completely sold out. It was amazing. Start to finish, completely sold out show, light show, amazing, everything amazing. You know, they even flew in a blimp for promotional purposes with the Pink Floyd logo on the side. And then roughly six months later, same venue, the Rolling Stones came and played, and they played on the, um, oh, what tour was that? Uh, it slips my mind right now, but it was right there in the uh, 84, 85 time range. I want to say it was um, Voodoo Lounge, that's what it was, Voodoo Lounge store. Those two shows back-to-back with those two huge, iconic bands were amazing. Of course, you know, shortly thereafter, that was, you know, we all knew that that was the last Pink Floyd show ever, last tour, and that was it. Yeah, and I've never seen all of Pink Floyd, but I have seen Roger Waters a couple times up in uh, Philly, and he puts on a really good show, a really good light show. The one time we saw it was the whole wall tour, and the next time we saw him, it was the Us versus Them tour. He had the light show making the, you know, the symbol from Dark Side of the Moon. Never seen Roger Waters by, by himself. I do like a lot of his solo work. If you are not familiar, if you haven't seen it or heard it yet, Mick Mason, the uh, drummer from Pink Floyd, he has like a little side band, you know, Mick Mason's Saucer Full of Secrets. And over the last couple of years, they put out some record short day stuff and they have a full-blown uh, live album and that live album basically recreates the i would say the first and second pink floyd albums live in almost their entirety and some very rare early takes sid barrett type stuff and the way that that is presented on that vinyl is just amazing if you haven't heard it or if your wife hasn't heard it and picked it up definitely definitely something to pick up a must for any pink floyd fan out there yeah, I have heard of that, and I think he's actually, he was touring overseas, and I think he's bringing that tour to North America in 2022, if I'm not mistaken. Is that right? Uh, if that happens, I'd love to see it. Hopefully it'll come by somewhere close and not be too expensive, but it'd be wonderful to see, because that vinyl is phenomenal. It's one of the best things I've heard in the last two, three years. I've seen Roger Waters, but I'd like to see, uh, you know, his, his compatriot there playing the guitar, you know, as well. I've never seen him live, but, you know, he was out in Pompeii and did a show that just looked amazing with his guitar work. So I'd like to kind of, you know, complete the bookends on that. I have a bootleg copy of a DVD performance from that Live 8 show where they did a brief reunion for about three or four songs. That is pretty cool. So if you haven't seen that, I will definitely share that with you one day so you can enjoy that as well. You know, I never got a chance to see Roger Waters with Florida Waters by himself on the bucket list, hopefully one day. But I would really like to see the men fences and be back together, but that'll probably never, ever happen. I don't know if it would either. You know, they did a really good show for The Wall, you know, and when The Wall was being torn down. Uh, I have a copy of that. I think it was a record store day purchase that it just gives you chills. It, you know, the hair stands up on your arms because they're actually doing The Wall and the wall is being torn down and they're saying tear down the wall and they're tearing it down. I mean, that's just gotta be yeah. so amazing to have seen that show. Absolutely. And I've seen the Rolling Stones. This was, you know, a couple of years ago, I think 2015 on the zip code tour. So you got me beat by a couple of years, but if you get a chance to not only see, uh, you know, Roger Waters or, you know, the Rolling Stones or, you know, even uh, Gilmore, you need to go and check those shows out. Nick Mason, too. I mean, that just sounds like that would be something awesome uh, to witness. But the Rolling Stones, when I saw them, it was just like every single solitary act that I've ever seen emulated 
the Stones. You know, I mean, like you talk about yeah. that that uh, Motley Crue record. I mean, they have a couple of albums that have just homage to the Rolling Stones, Michael Jackson, just all these different artists that emulate Mick Jagger and the band. And it's just how many years they've been doing it and they're still doing it. They're still touring and it's just amazing. And you got to put it on your bucket list to go see the Stones as well. Well, I'm going to throw this out to you, my friend. You know, next time that you are accumulating these wonderful tickets to all these wonderful venues and whether it's here, there, or everywhere, invite your, your buddy here, Brian, and his wife, and we'll definitely go out with you and your wife and your daughter and whoever else is going. We'll make all this stuff happen. To go to D.C. with you or to Charlotte or wherever we need to go to make some of this stuff happen. Well, that definitely sounds like a deal. That Roger Waters show, we took the whole family, all four of us, my son, my daughter, my wife and I went, and it was $500 for the ticket, but it was worth every penny of it. And the Stones tickets, I think, for two back in 2015 was like $225, but that was worth every penny, too. So some of them, like the Stones tour, I went on late. The uh, Pink Floyd tour, we actually did, you know, plan that one. But And I, we even sent some pictures to your wife, being that she's, you know, she likes that other football team that we won't speak yeah. of. And I sent her some pictures <laughs> from Philly <laughs> of that particular yep. football team. Well, that brings up another bone of contention with me, you know. You, you mentioned these high ticket prices and everything else. It's just where we're at with everything in music, you know. Well, way back in the day, when I started seeing shows in the early to mid-80s and anything else, we all know that everything was driven by album sales, you know, whether it was LP, cassette tape, vinyl, whatever it was, everything was driven by album sales. The tours that came by, you could see, you know, so-and-so or whoever else, headline naming bands. I remember buying tickets for $12 a night, 20 bucks a night. When I finally got into the early to mid-90s, when Pink Floyd came by and the Stones came by and then they said, hey, you need to pay $100 a piece for a ticket. It was just like, wow, I need to pay how much? You know, three weeks ago, I was only paying 20 bucks. But when we think about it, you know, the whole thing with the new generation and everything being digital and people just downloading and transferring files and just listening to stuff on whatever service you have, Spotify, whatever it is, not driving any revenue to the actual artists. And in order for the artists to be able to survive and make new albums and new records, they have to charge you 200 to 500 bucks a show, depending on who it is, just to be able to get by and get all this touring done. It's a double-edged sword. That's one of the reasons why I love to buy vinyl and support the artists that way. And it's pretty amazing to know that vinyl sales now are exceeding CD sales. Things are starting to come full circle. It all started with the Napster. People were downloading those files illegally, and Metallica got all upset about it and raised a fuss, you know, and Tom Petty back in the day raised a fuss with them raising the record prices from seven ninety nine to like nine ninety nine or those type of things. And, uh, you know, now with streaming, a lot of people don't realize they want to go see these shows, but these bands are fronting. They have to pay the people that are opening up. They have to pay the people that are breaking down. They have to pay, you know, the bands that are in the middle. Like if they have two or three bands, they're paying all of that. The record company will pay it, but basically they got to pay them back. So if they're not getting album sales, you're right. The ticket prices are going to go up or the merchandise is going to go up. And, you know, we are kind of caught in the crosshairs because we want to do it all. We want to get the music and then we want to support the local artist or the national artist or whoever it is and go see them. And we want to wear the T-shirt that we, hey, we went to the show. But by the time you go, and then if you have to travel, like I've talked on the show several times about Richmond not having any venues, 
we just went up to Boston to see the 21 pots, my daughter and I, when we took a train there and back hotel, you know, and then we paid for the tickets and then the t-shirts and you know, all that stuff. A thousand dollars. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's just outrageous. And I mean, I want to support them, but it's like getting to be where it's too much to be able to even just go to a show. Cause we used to go to shows, you know, 10, 15, $20 a pop, get a t-shirt for 10 or 15 bucks. And now it's, you know, triple that. Yeah. Back in my concert heyday in the early 90s from, say, 90 through 95, I was literally at concerts, whether it was a major venue like the Alamo Dome or the Spurs Arena or wherever I was or even a small club. I was out seeing shows three, four nights a week, and it wasn't uncommon to see shows back to back to back with all these different artists coming through and being able to afford it. You know, but that was way back in the day when concert tickets were 15 to 30 bucks a piece. And if it was a club show, it was only ten dollars to get in, and you could afford it. But now, with the concert prices being, you know, one hundred twenty-five dollars plus a ticket, if you want a reserved seat, uh, let alone if you want a gold section seat or something, you know, VIP, you, know, you have to very much pick and choose what you can do. So, you know, I'm very supportive of smaller venues like the Norva and the National up there in Richmond and stuff like that. You know, those are still relatively easy to access type venues at forty to fifty a person to see a show but definitely when you're talking about a major national act coming through especially in a large coliseum somewhere you definitely have to pick and choose where you're going to go and who you're going to see you do have some other venues like the beacon theater in hopewell and you have the virginia beach amphitheater but yeah. i will tell you a way to get around it and that is if you are a fan of the band and you follow them and get their emails they will send you an email or pre-sales and that's how you can get around the big ticket sales because we did manage to do that with 21 pilots and got tickets for like 65 or 75 dollars when after they go on that sale they're going for twice of that amount so if you do follow any bands follow their emails get on their list and you can get those concert tickets at a lesser price and then you can also use those apps too where you can get like last minute seats at shows as well that maybe if they don't sell out because there's a you know you're right by some venues there in Virginia Beach I would normally have to drive down but I've seen where I could go see like a 311 show or something like that last minute and the ticket prices aren't that expensive. I definitely agree with that and I definitely agree and support artists that like to sell their tickets when they're selling them that you have to you know, purchase it with a credit card and show that credit card when you get in, you know, that way to prevent all the ticket scalping and things of that nature. You know, I'd rather make sure that the band that I want to see is getting their hundred bucks or 200 bucks versus me giving, you know, $600 to someone else that's trying to be an intermediary and sell a ticket that they bought back in the day and not going to go see the show and pocketing that difference that the artist should probably be receiving and not that scalper yeah because you definitely want them to bring out more music and have more vinyl that we can purchase and do more shows so we can see those type of things but you're you're absolutely right it, it does get to be pricey and some of those apps they will help you to get those last minute seats but you do have to be careful too i went to go see you too bought one of the tickets through one of the apps got up to dc and then i was having trouble they wanted me to print the ticket off i couldn't use my phone every other time you can use your phone and then they switched the tickets on me and i didn't know where i was going to be sitting and i was all amped up before the show and i really couldn't even enjoy the show because I was like wondering where I was going to sit, where they were moving me, all this kind of stuff, because I used, 
you know, the app. And I'd never had a problem up until that point until that U2 show. But that uh, was really like eye opening, too. So you just have to be careful. Still support those bands that you want to see, man. You know what I mean? Yep. Definitely keep you and your wife in mind when we're doing some of those shows. And maybe we'll have to look and, and see Nick Mason together. And if Roger Waters is tuning again, I know definitely my wife will be there. And so we could uh, all check those things out. So definitely if you see anything worth going to, and if I see anything, we should definitely hook up and try to go, even if it's out of town. Absolutely. I will definitely keep you guys in mind. That sounds good. I'll do the same. So we're going to talk about musical purchases now, and I, I think you might be able to answer all of these. You know, So basically, I usually just ask, what was your first music purchase? But I think you might be able to do vinyl, tape, CD, and stream. Yeah, possible, and maybe even 8-track if I want to date myself. Yeah, do 8-track as well. <laughs> 8-track purchase. I probably have about two or three 8-tracks hanging around here. The one that I remember purchasing, and it was just, I just bought it on the Ground was a copy of Kiss Dynasty on eight track. I don't even have an eight track player, but I have an eight track tape laying around here somewhere. Just bought that just because you know I've always loved Kiss as a fan, and yeah, it was there. It was cheap. Had to have it. You know, I've bought all kind of other things along the way. You know, probably one of the first purchases I bought on LP myself was uh, probably a copy of Adam and the Ants, Kings of the Wild Frontier. If you loved them back in the day in the early eights. Gotta love ant music. CDs were really big when I was getting into uh, early part of high school. You know, everyone wanted to have a CD player, so I just can't remember just the first CD purchase. At one time, I was com- trying to complete everything from you know, cassette tapes over to CDs because supposedly it sounded better and no one wanted a vinyl. And the, at the end of the day, I truly think that vinyl is where it is. I just always have loved the, you know, the format, you know, being able to hold something in your hands, looking at the artwork on the big 12 by 12 picture and just opening up and holding stuff. You know, the only time I really buy things on, say, digital download would be if it's something that's very limited and it's not available in a physical format. You know, occasionally I'll download something from Apple Music or, you know, Amazon or wherever it happens to be. But, you know, it's very few and far between. And it has to definitely be something that I just cannot buy a physical copy of because ultimately if you send me a computer file or I get a computer file from somewhere else, that's exactly what it is. It's just a computer file. I'm one of those guys that's kind of old school, and if I ever go to a concert or somewhere and I happen to be lucky to be a you know, backstage or be able to meet an artist, I want to be able to say, hey, I have this that I purchased from you. And can you sign it? And you just can't do that with a digital download. I'm a physical media kind of guy. Well, that is true. Um, and Adam uh, Ant has come up on the show before. How did you get into Adam Ant, if I could ask? Being as a kid, I was an Air Force brat. My dad lived here, there, and everywhere. Before we moved back to the States, right before the start of, I'd say, you know, fifth, sixth grade, I was a young British kid who also was an American kid living in England, but I still talked with that Harry Potter British accent. And Adam and the Ants were coming out on the scene and they were all over top of the pop you know someone tv and i just kind of love love the sound i love the you know somewhat you know what do you call that glam pirate look and it was just a it was just a good beer i love the music and I, i've loved them ever since and then after they broke up and when adam did the solo stuff it's just still good music good pop music can't complain that's got to be really cool the last time it came up uh, you know was because of mtv but you're on the other side of the pond there and it came up on top of the pops. You've seen that documentary on I Want My MTV on MTV. They talk about a lot of videos, you know, they weren't doing except for promotions. But uh, Britain, they had videos because of top of the pops and they were 
playing those all over MTV. And that's where you got that second British invasion. So you were across the pond witnessing the other side of that. Yeah, absolutely. And then coming back to the States and then MTV launching, it was pretty cool. So what kind of bands besides uh, Adam Ant uh, did you get over there besides him? What other artists were you getting over to across the pond? I really remember a thing that, you know, stands out distinctly in my mind. I always remember to this day. I must have been in about third or fourth grade in England and I was living on base. And we had this big recreational area for the kids field, you know, with slides, swing sets and all that good stuff. And we were all hanging out there as young kids. I couldn't have been more than six, seven, eight years old at the most. And we were all hanging around, swinging on the swings. Some of the older kids came by. And, you know, when I say older kids, they couldn't have been more than 13 or 14. And then they had some big old, you know, jam blasters, you know, playing their music. And that was the first time at that age that I heard ACDC. And hearing ACDC on the swing set, you know, being that young, and you know, that was a really good time. I really got into that sort of music because of things like that. And then most earlier, you know, my dad's influence with the classic rock bands, Deep Purple, Hendrix, that sort of stuff. Then the newer stuff with ACDC coming in. That was really good times. So, man, you just had an eclectic uh, mix of music from across the pond, hanging out with your dad in the classic rock, and then the type of vinyl you collect is a, a good uh, chunk of, of stuff too, because I've seen some of it, you know, that I've purchased for you. Talk a little yeah. bit about some of the latest uh, vinyl stuff that you've maybe picked up just to give us a little bit of a difference in that, you know, top of the pop scene and the ACDC uh, see See where else we can take it. Yeah, as, as I mentioned, my vinyl collection, and as well as just my regular music collection, period, it, it just really spans from the left to the right and everywhere in between. I'm primarily classic rock type of guy, 70s rock, 80s rock, heavy metal type stuff. Thing. That's my main focus. I love my classic metal. I love my Iron Maiden. I love my Motorhead. All those good stuff, ACDC. But I also respect all the old, early stuff. You know, anything you from the early 60s, from the Beatles, the Stones, the Hendrix, Led Zeppelin, of course. Led Zeppelin's amazing. Old Black Sabbath, all that stuff. And then I really appreciate, you know, 80s pop music, Adam and the Ants. I love Pat Benatar, you know, the Bengals, everything in between, the Runaways. Country music, I love it too. But my, my country music tastes tend to be a little bit more towards the older classic type country. I prefer Johnny Cash's and... Willie Nelson's and things of that nature. I do like some of the newer country stuff. I'm a big Toby Keith fan, you know, Alan Jackson, that sort of stuff. But when we sort of get to some of the newer country, what I refer more to this as the, the pop country or the crossover stuff, not that big of a fan. It comes to, say, you know, rap music, I'm more of a you know an 80s traditionalist type guy when it comes to rap music, Public Enemy, DC Boys, ST, Ice Cube, you know, the, the classic stuff. Once you start getting into newer rap stuff that's anything past say 95 into the 2000s i really i'm out of my element i just don't know and it's just not something i'm really focused on everything else i'm there i'll be listening to one moment to something like tori amos then i'll be going to deep purple and then after that i'm putting on a country tune it just really depends on what my mood is i have music here in my house for every sort of thing you know even classical stuff Spanish flamenco guitar. Love it. That's the reason why I had you on the show, because I know you're eclectic, just like I'm eclectic. You know, I once went into the record store and bought a Snoop Doggy Dog and a Harry Connick Jr. at the uh, same yeah. time. And they looked at me and, and is this for a gift? Funny. Yeah. Yeah. They looked at yeah. me funny. Is this for, is this for a gift? And I'm like, no, this is for me. Yeah. They, don't, they, they either think that you're buying gifts or you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> 
Yeah, or they start to quiz you on the music. It's like, you know, do yeah. you, are you really listening to this? Is this for you? And I'm like, yeah, it's for me. I'm buying yeah. Eric Connick Jr. And I'm buying Snoop Dogg. Yeah, that person asked me those questions younger than me. I try to turn the tables on them and say, and where were you in 1987 when this came out? And they're like, huh? No, I was at the show. So let me buy my album and I'm going to go home. <laughs> Like you, I'm I'm not a big country music fan, or at least I thought I wasn't a big country music fan. And I don't know if you've seen that documentary by Ken Burns about country music, but in watching that documentary, I'm like, I'm a country music fan. I might as well just admit it. I'm I'm an old school, new school country music fan, and you know the roots of that music is it really taps into Americana. Yeah, definitely. We're gonna take a break, and uh, we'll be right back. So hang on. We are back. I'm Johnny Bravo. You're going under the musical influence of today's guest, Brian Belt, on Under the Influence with DJ Johnny Bravo. What's your favorite song? Give that artist, band, or group, and the song title. Uh, that's, that's, a, that's a tough one. It just really depends on the, the day of the week, whenever, what's going on, this and that. There's just so much music out there. But if I just had to pick, you know, just one song or something of that, or, or just one band, you know, the band that's always got me through life is Iron Maiden. They're my number one band. I live, worship, breathe what they do. Huge fan, mega fan, uber fan, whatever you want to call it. The one song that they've done that always just, you know, gets me in the mood is probably the trooper probably overplayed a little bit you know they have a lot better songs than that the songs that are worse than that but you know that would probably be the one song to mention so how many iron maiden albums do you own i have them all <laughs> i have all the studio recordings on uh, vinyl as well as cd and then i try to pick up all the singles if i can and i got all the little tidbits here and there it's really insane if my wife knew what I really had. She'd try to sell it all on eBay so she doesn't even know what I have. And in all your travels, did you ever see Iron Maiden live? I have seen Iron Maiden live numerous times. I've seen them probably, you know, I would say not every year they've toured, but almost every other year. So it's probably the band I've seen most live in my lifetime. Probably 14, 15 concerts at least, if not more. And numerous times backstage hanging out with them and then some personal activity hanging out. Uh, we're actually with the band members and picking them up from hotel rooms and all that good stuff and everything in between. So name like maybe two or three of your favorite Iron Maiden shows. Where were they? Maybe if you can remember the tour or the album they were touring off of. One of the best shows that I've ever seen from Iron Maiden, and I see, as I mentioned, I've seen them multiple, multiple times. One show that really sticks out was the uh, Brave New World Tour that happened. And that was uh, back in the day... After Bruce Dickinson, uh, the second lead singer, left the band and he came back to the band after a almost a 10-year hiatus, it was about you know, eight years or so, but they played um, two shows back-to-back in San Antonio over Labor Day weekend, September 3rd and September 4th, and I went to both of those shows, and both nights got backstage passes and hung out with the band and had a real good time. Queens right up in both of those shows, and it was a great, great time. We'll never forget that. That's got to be a special memory. So the next question I normally ask in these range of questions is, what's your favorite band? But you've already 
answer that. Did you want to add any fan <laughs> to that? Uh, you know, we, no. you, so, you, sometimes I'll put an S behind it. So if you want to talk more about any other favorite songs or any of your other favorite bands, and I know we've talked a little bit about it, but if you had to pick a, is that your favorite band or did you, uh, is there, you know, there's no number two. Iron Maiden is it. Yeah, if you had to say you could only pick one band to live on that desert island with and take their catalog with you, yeah, that would have to be it. You know, my number two band in the metal scene would be Motorhead. You know, Lemmy and Motorhead, phenomenal. Way before their time. I wouldn't even really classify them truly as a true heavy metal band. I would just say a very straightforward hard rock band is what they always call themselves. Anything from Motorhead, amazing. And I also had that opportunity one time in my life to meet Lemmy and all that before his passing. That was a cool, cool time to backstage with him. This is something that we didn't talk about before, just so people out there in uh, the under the influence land knows. I send out the show prep and I don't get the show prep back. So I have no idea idea what we're going to talk about before the show. They know what they're going to talk about because I you know, try to get them a little bit of prep time. And I had no idea that Motorhead was going to be one of the things that we talked about tonight. When I promoted you recording of the podcast, I used the song on Instagram Motorhead for you. So uh, a song by Motorhead. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. So you'll, I, I don't, I don't know if you're on Instagram. I think I tagged your wife in it, but I did uh, use uh, Motorhead as the song. And I had no idea that we were even going to talk about Motorhead tonight. So I just think that is so cool. Awesome. And all the uh, bands and, you know, not only do you have a first favorite and a second favorite, but all these bands that you've gotten to see all across the United States and that you've met. I mean, that is just so awesome. I mean, there's some people that don't even get a chance to even go to one show or to meet that one band or artist that they're in love with. And you and I have both had, you know, that opportunity to do that. And, and other people on the show uh, have done the same thing. Express how that feels when you go and hang out with that band that you love for the first time or that person, that artist that you meet for the first time, just hanging out with them. First and foremost, I feel very lucky and blessed that I've been able to see who I've been able to see and meet whoever I've been able to meet. You know, I've met so many artists over the course of the last you know 35 years or so that I, I could spend multiple podcasts with you talking about those. You know, big story is that you know I feel very blessed to be able to be in the right place in the right time to be able to see who I've seen and meet who I've met and be able to hang out with those individuals, whether it be you know like I mentioned Iron Maiden. Lemmy or Dio or any of the other rock artists that I've seen and met you know, through the course of my life. I even had the opportunity once to see Paul Stanley and Gene Simmons that just showed up at my place of work when I was working in the movie theater. I saw them the night before they showed up in the limo and wanted to see a movie, so I helped them out and watched the movie. You know, the big thing is that you have to you know, enjoy things, you know, take things with a grain of salt and make sure that you're in the right place in the right time. Not worry about being rejected and being saying no. It's probably harder now to get in to see someone backstage than it was back in the day, but persistence is the key and also knowing a few people, you know, you know, talk to your local DJs, talk to your local people that are promoting shows. You know, if you're active in the music scene, it opens up doors for you. And next thing you know, you're hanging out with those artists that you'd like to meet and you can ask those specific questions and talk 
talk to them and get to know them a little bit more beyond their music. And it's just an amazing, amazing experience. Now, before we get into this last question, I wanted to ask you one other question I meant to ask you a little a little bit ago. I want to, we normally ask when we do what your favorite uh, song is or, you know, your stream or, you know, vinyl or whatever. And we like to talk about the local record store. And I know you've visited uh, all over the United States. So do you want to give out a shout out to some of your record stores that you went to in the United States and the ones closest to home? Well, I have a soft spot for the record store that I used to work for. That was back in the 90s and that company no longer exists. That was Sound Warehouse. But what I really love is the local record stores that are available in our area now. And here in the Virginia Beach area, I'm very happy with Vinyl Days, AFK, as well as Birdland Records. You've been out there before. Any sort of local record store where you can actually walk in to talk to somebody who knows the music, can talk to you and make recommendations for you about, well, maybe you like this, but maybe you should listen to some of this. But if you really like so-and-so, if you haven't heard of this person, you know, that's that's where you meet people, network, you get to learn new music, and that's truly what it's all about. So, you know, I enjoy going to places up in your area like Plan 9. I always get upset when record store places close. The big thing is to keep it real, keep it local, get out there and buy your vinyl, buy your UCDs if you're buying used or whatever you're buying. Just, you know, make sure that you're supporting that local business. That's what it's all about. That's what's going to keep everything and the music thing going forward. Yeah, you mentioned some great record stores. I know my wife has been in line uh, with you at Birdland for Record Store Day. I know your wife has gotten me some of my uh, Record Store Day purchases at AFK. And I know you've been up here to Plan 9, and you know you talk about stores that are closing. Like Steady Sounds was one of the ones that closed up here. That was a great yeah, record that, store. That hurt me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they had a great uh, dollar section upstairs, a big dollar section, and their records were like five, eight, twelve, twenty dollars. Most of them, I don't think, went over twenty bucks. Yeah, take a chance on any record for a dollar. Yeah, exactly. And I've gotten some really good ones. You know, for a dollar, I got the BG's greatest hits that still had the inserts from where you could order the the stuff from their 1975 concert in it. And I got a Billy Joel, you know, the uh, one from Russia. The, or whatever you however you say that, uh, you know, the live uh, version with the red cover. I got that for a buck, and I think I even yeah. got Billy Joel's Greatest Hits for a dollar. So, I mean, they had just a whopping collection of dollar records. Deep Groove uh, is a good record store, and I visited another place out here, Wax Moon, that uh, is really cool uh, place that you'll have to come check out with me uh, they definitely. have some cool stuff yeah. yes i'm off there at your neck of the woods i will definitely go with you you ready for the finale well i guess so let's go all right here we go how has music impacted your life Music makes the world go around. Without music, it's going to be a dull, dull place. For my highs and my lows and whatever's been going on in my life, music always gets me through. So that's basically where I'm at. You can always have a different job, different thing going on in your life, but you can always relate back to where were you at in that certain day of your life? What, what were you listening to when you were 15 or 25 or 30? What was that last great show that you went to? It makes and secures those memories, so that's why it's so important in my life. And I you feel the same way and it's an important part of yours as well in my notes that i send everyone you know paint that picture and really you know you painted a great picture of your love of music you know your collection and where the collections held and the love of vinyl and the resurgence of vinyl and supporting your 
you know, your local community supporting your local bands, all of those things are just so, so important. Just putting on that vinyl and listening continuously to it going and spinning is nothing like it. And you had to go, some of them you have to go over and flip over to side two. Some of them automatically flip, but uh, it's such a great thing that just takes us back to those memories that it's painting that picture for us when we were 15 or 10 or nine or that concert or that dance with the girl at the at the show or at the party or whatever it's just such a great thing that we can all kind of get around the table and you know talk about so i'm glad that you're able to do that today absolutely well it's been my pleasure i'd love to talk to you again at any time you want and just let me know and i'll be here for you dj johnny bravo well i definitely appreciate it and maybe i will take you up on that maybe we'll do you know where we'll just talk about the concerts you've been to i'm sure we could probably do a whole show based off of that so maybe that's something that we could get together and do because i would be interested in in seeing what shows you went to back in the day besides the ones we talked about today yeah, absolutely. Just let me know. We'll put up a list and we can have some further discussions. It'd be my pleasure to help you out. Thanks so much, Brian. Thanks for going under the musical influence of today's guest, Brian Belt, on Under the Influence with DJ Johnny Bravo. Go under the influence on Instagram at DJ J O N N I B R A V O underscore under the influence. That's DJ J O N N I B R A V O underscore under the influence. Please subscribe to Under the Influence with DJ Johnny Bravo, where you listen to your podcasts. I'm Johnny Bravo. I'll see you next time. Goodbye. Until next week.